Welcome to another episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. We now have a special series of episodes that are going to involve Donald, Dennis, and Stephanie Fry as we ex do our experience over the ALA 2019 Summer Annual Convention. Uh, what we have up for you first is our final recording where we sort of look back at what we've done, give some game reviews, that kind of thing. Uh, future episodes will include interviews or discussions with publishers or game designers who were there at the event. Also, we'll have a great big discussion with other Inverse Genius folks about ALA Play, where uh, we had a big play date basically with a whole bunch of publishers and librarians. So uh, enjoy this series of articles, and thanks to ALA for letting Stephanie attend as press so that she could help me get all these recordings. I'm here, I'm Donald Dennis with... Stephanie Fry. And we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we saw in and around the gaming grotto. We're going to start with... Cat Crimes. Some game about cats from our friends over at Think Fun. Love a lot of their products. I haven't gotten to play them all or play with them all, but the ones I have, a lot of fun. And we're going to cover several of them here. And so in Cat Crimes, it is a logic puzzle sort of game, sort of like what? Sort of like any of those puzzles where, you know, Nancy can't sit next to Ted because she hates how his hair looks, and uh, Joe hates Grandpa because he snores, so they can't sit across from each other. That kind of thing. Right. It's the same sort of, you know, mental uh, muscle that you'd be using when you're doing a Sudoku, which is, oh, all of those are over there, so I can't have this eight there, only a little more refined also. Though... Um, yeah, that doesn't probably map for a lot of a lot of the elements. It's a cute game. It has the same thing that you always have with a Think Fun, which is the increasing levels of difficulty. And uh, I don't know. I think it's adorable, and it's the, one of those kinds of games that you can set out for. Hey, if you if you're doing tests right uh, in your school, and you've got to, to have stuff ready for the kids to do afterwards, you can have it set out so they can start to figure it out. If you need something in your library where you're going to uh, you know, have something that's eye-catching. It is not necessarily as eye-catching as some of the other Think Fun stuff we're going to be talking about here shortly. I don't know. It's pretty eye-catching because the art's really nice. It is very pretty. It is it is excellent. I'm not, not discounting it down, but it, it also doesn't have pieces that are as irreplaceable as some of the other ones. Right. It's mostly cardboard stand-ups and cardboard mats. The only hidden information in the entire game is the back of the card that is the solution to what's on the front of the card. So if you lose a few cards, that's not going to be a problem. If they get damaged, you know, mauled by children, what have you, not a big deal. Any of the pieces that you have to have around the table for cats, you can make your own. You can, if, if something gets lost in the lost and found, what have you, you never find it again. You could probably print something out and throw it back on cardboard. Right. So it is one of those beautiful self-functioning you know, functioning games that you can get a lot of use out of. And, you know, even though it is made out of, you know, cards and chipboard, it, it's still pretty durable. It's, it looks like good quality components. Right. And so uh, what was your thoughts on it? Your final thoughts? Or is there anything else that I've missed about um, the game? No, I, th I think you've covered it pretty good. Uh, I really like it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I've always enjoyed sort of the figuring out where things go. Um, right. So, yep, that's Cat Crimes for me. Green Light, I think, like most Think Fun games, it would be a wonderful addition. And it is sort of different than a lot of their other puzzle games because 
it's not about moving stuff around. It's not about the physical, hey, you have to get things from place to place or move current from there to there. You just have to figure out what the relative position is. Right. But it is still pretty fidgety. Oh, it can be. I mean, you can certainly say, oh, this means it's going to go here or there. But it's not like pathing, like the circuit maze or the gravity maze or the, you know roller coaster. You don't necessarily have to physically touch the pieces, but you can. Yeah. Oh, yes. That, that's very true. So, uh, green light for libraries, I say? Yeah. Yep. Green light for libraries, definitely. Alright. Well, we've gone from the cats, and now we're going to give it the beans. The beans! Balance beans! And so, uh, describe balance beans. So, balance beans, you have a scale, and you're putting red beans on the scale based on the card that you're looking at, and those are the beans you can't move, can't mess with and then it'll tell you how many beans you need to put on the scale and your objective is to make the scale balance out right and so i would have to say that uh, once again it's card based right. so that you've got a whole bunch of challenges and it's you know really the kind of thing that you could have a little plastic stand up slide the card in and then have the people do the balance. The card has, once you've taught people the game, which is very easy. Uh, it's very easy. Very easy. That, you know, all they need to do is see the front card, which tells all the pieces that are going to be used for that particular puzzle, as a lot of the Think Fun stuff does. Now, here's the thing. Some children might decide to use this giant teeter-totter-shaped scale as a catapult. Catapult! I don't know who would do such a thing... Um, what? But, but I can tell you from personal experience that you can launch those beans relatively far. Uh, <laughs> and maybe you shouldn't. I think that was the first thing you did after we solved that first puzzle. <laughs> yes. It's like, victory! <laughs> um, and in a crowded convention center, maybe also not the best plan. Right? <laughs> so... Now, it, it is neat because the red beans are the ones that you always put on the board to act as the blockers or the starting weights. And then based on how you place your sets of one, two, or three beans, uh, you know, it's like sideways, back and forth, up, you know, whatever, that, that that's how you're doing it. And it is very much a, you're placing them in one place, you're learning a little bit about it, and you're pulling it off. You could play it if you wanted to do it on super hard mode and say each person only gets one chance to, to do it and then figure out if anybody gets it right. But I think that the fun of it is playing. The fun is the fidgety. Is playing with it and seeing the weights and balances and all that. But once you get really good at it, then you probably would be able to do it without mm-hmm. so much of playing around. Right? Well, once you, I think you kind of understand the relative weight of you know where they'll go and how that will sort of leverage. Right, and also each of the beans um, they come in groups of one, two, or three, and they're a different color for each type. Right, uh, I think the... So it's, it's yellow, or it's orange for one, two is yellow, and... Three is blue? Yep, that's right, absolutely. So, neat game, I absolutely like it. I would recommend it highly if you're looking for something physical, because... The, it's very physical. The stuff that gets our people, this is going to be the kind of thing that people play with even if they don't aren't playing the game. Right. The, the Cats one, great thing, but it's not going to get as much play... Unless people are just playing paper dolls, right? Or right. Cats. You're mostly going to be doing the cards or or just not messing with it. But for this one, um, I'm going to say that, that it is just going to be one of those fiddle magnets. People are going to play with it and, and enjoy it quite a bit. So, green light from me. Oh, absolutely green light. Now, there's another game that moved us quite a bit. 
Invasion of the Cow Snatchers. Right. And uh, this game has lots of table presence. It does have lots of table presence. You see it on the table, and it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the other ones, you see it and you know exactly what it is. You're like, okay, those are beans. Those are cats. This one, you don't know what it is right away, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for it, just because you're like, but what is it? Let me investigate further. And what it is, is it's a little 4x4 green grid that's got a plastic piece on top, and there's multicolored discs underneath that plastic piece, and then you got a little gray round shape on top. And some weird barriers that are inside, walls of different heights and colors. Right. And so the theme is... You are a UFO trying to pull up cows. And you always have to pull up the Red Bull last. Mm -hmm. And that's where the challenge comes in. So I wonder if they they chose that because of any particular other brand of red bovines. I had not thought of that until this very much. (laughs) Um, So once again, just like uh, the two previous games... They've got the deck of cards that are going to present you with your challenges. They start at exceptionally easy, and they get up to uh, uh, devilishly difficult. And it's a, it's a very cool-looking game because of the the way the flying saucer will yank up these magnet discs. And right. Instead of having 3D cows, which would be cool. That would be neat. Uh, it wouldn't work because basically it tells you, hey, the starting ones are you just need to pick up the Red Bull last. Uh, the other ones are you need to get discs in specific orders. Right. It adds in more colors, discs, and since each one of the walls is of a certain height, when you're moving your saucer around, if you move it past the water tower or whatever it is, the grain silo, that it will knock off all the cows and you lose. Or you go over a wall that's too short, it will knock off discs, which is not necessarily a bad thing because you might be using those to help you rearrange the order. But then you get to another place, you better be able to get back to that disc. Otherwise, anything else you pick up and go back over that wall is also going to be lost at that time. It is very clever. It's very, very clever. Uh, There's also a piece when you get later in where you actually pull the the saucer up to drop magnets off. Right, there's crop circle pieces that you can put in the farm. uh, So that you can help uh, rearrange the magnets. Right. So, in all, I I would have to say that the invasion of the cow snatchers is probably my favorite of of all of these of of the three that we've seen. Now I like them all, and I would actually recommend probably the beans one would be the one that would be the most fiddled with, where you don't have to worry about the pieces walking away quite so much. But unlike the cat one, my favorite is actually the cat one. Um, I don't know why I like seating puzzles like a lot and right. i feel like anytime seating puzzles are involved i'm like that was fun give me another and i think we talked about that back when we were doing the uh, slash slash code games that they had there was one that was more like a seating puzzle that you liked and i liked the pathing ones better mm-hmm. and so that's the same kind of thing here is right. I, I really love the mechanism of of the picking up the cows and the doing the stuff but the cat one is the one where if pieces get lost or broken it's still playable uh, if you lose one of the beans you might as well either you know call them and get a replacement piece or remove the cards from the deck that require three of that color of bean, you know, or what have you. Or so, multiples. Yeah, multiple versions of it. So right. uh, there's uh, 
and and this is always the problem with games is you lose pieces how playable is it there's enough puzzles in each of the decks though that i don't think the loss of a couple of pieces would make it impossible to play or even impossible to learn the easy ones and proceed uh so i like it a lot but i think those magnet pieces are going to be the ones that you're going to have to watch the most the best but on the other hand if you've got magnet boards on your wall at you know work or or, you know filing cabinets you could store the pieces there make sure they don't disappear when you're not looking Sure. So that's Invasion of Cow Snatchers. I think Think Fun got three green lights from us, probably. Yes. Uh, yes. Absolutely. So, all right. Their puzzle games are always fantastic. They are. And so we played my first Castle Panic. So you had never played the original Castle Panic. Right. I'd only played the Star Trek one. The Star Trek one. But what did you think about my first Castle Panic? I feel like... It's very good for introducing cooperative play to itty bitties. It is. And it was, what did we say? That it was sort of like the uh, uh, Candyland or... Uh, Candyland pandemic? Is that yeah, what I said? Yeah. You're, you're busy trying to... Uh, you don't have many choices in the game. You've got a handful of cards. You're just trying to play the cards. You always have... Uh, usually you have about two cards in your hand. Sometimes right. you have a little bit more... I want to say between all the players... There's an average of two cards per player. Right. On average. So, give or take. On your turn, you usually start with one card. You draw another card. There are creatures that are advancing down this one stone path to get to the castle. And each of the spaces has a symbol on it. And you're playing... Maybe a shape and a color. A shape and a color. Or sometimes multiples Mm -hmm. to match that. Uh, And... So, if you were looking for something for teens, obviously, my first um, uh, Castle Panic is not the game for you. But if you're looking for a game that is old enough for kids who are just old enough to hold cards without drooling on them, or who have little card holders and can match colors and shapes, that's what this game's great for. For matching shapes and colors. So, like, if you have, like, a Minecraft day or... Yeah. Learning to take turns. It is a super light game. I'm thinking... No older than eight. I don't think kids older than eight are going to enjoy this unless right. it's that nostalgia factor. Maybe six even. Mm-hmm. It is like uh, we've had kids come in and ask for Candyland in their teens. But I think it's because they haven't played Candyland forever and they see a whole shelf of board games. Right. And they go, I used to play Candyland. And they don't understand what they're getting themselves into. They get nostalgic. They do. And, and I think that that's the same thing for this. It's like if kids play it when they're young, maybe they'll like it when they're older. But it's... No older kid is going to say, you know what I really want to play is my first Castle Panic. Um, any thoughts? Any other thoughts about it? I, I think it's definitely a good gateway game for younger kids. Right. So if you're a children's librarian, it might be a great addition oh, to your absolutely. collection. If you are a, uh, I don't remember, was the age four or two? What was the age that they were saying? I think it was like four. It was four plus. It was ages four plus. It's certainly any, any child age four could it, play it. It'd be good for um it would be good for a children's section and honestly I feel like it would be pretty good for say a sort of gamer parent trying to get their kid into gaming. Right. Right, right, right. And it'd be a fun one to sort of play together and work together because there's there's something there. Nice. Um yeah, so I, there's a lot to it, I think, that's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's for the younger kids, and it's 
Nice. So in, and I've heard this said that in storytelling or in television, that a lot of the tropes that, you know, started off for older or more developed, you know, television shows are starting to creep younger and younger as they think, oh, well, we can handle that. And the kids understand it because they're watching it maybe a year before they should. So we can now get this in YA fiction or in television. And I think games are starting to get to that point. All of the stuff that we had to introduce adults to, you know, 10 years ago, we were introducing it to teenagers. Mm -hmm. And now people are figuring out how to distill those elements down so that they are of interest or able to be digested or played by young children. Right. And I think also we have sort of more people teaching these things and aware of these things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so one of the other games that was shown to us, we didn't actually get to play it, was Here Kitty Kitty. And it was one where you were trying to adopt cats and get cats into your house, your yard or your porch. And that's also from the same company. Um, it looked cute. Which looked cute. If you want a bunch of little rubber cats, that might be one to bring in. It's right. a very take that sort of game where mm-hmm. uh, you need the ability to get those in um, into your yard. We have not had a chance to play it. I would say that it's certainly not the kind of game that I like playing, mm-hmm. but it looks like they thought through some of the elements. The setup is still very amazing uh, for the game. See, it feels like to me that it would be really fun to play, but then counting up points at the end would be really just... It did seem like there were a lot of ways to do points. Right. Yeah. Just because each of the cats is worth a certain amount of points depending on where they are. Or the total number of cats that you have might the be worth The total some. number of cats. Um, there, there just seemed like there were a lot of points. Mm. Yep. Yep, yep, so, yep. But besides that, it, it looked pretty fun. And we saw some interesting stuff over at the Looney Labs booth. The Some fluxes that I hadn't seen before. Uh, the anatomy flux. The Mary... That looked really interesting. I kind of wonder what that one is like yeah. on the inside, you know? Oh, I get it. Oh. That oh. was on accident? Right. Sure. You don't see the look. All right. Uh, or a Mary Ingle Brett's uh, fairy tale flux. So they got more versions of Flux, and it was neat to see they had a box there of all their currently available Fluxes. Right. And so they've still got quite a few on the shelves. If you're looking for something to match your theme, you can do that. They had this other game called Nanofictionary, which I'll talk to them about at some point, uh, because it's the card game of telling tiny stories. And since we just did our storytelling workshop this spring, we're still busy writing up you know reviews and whatnot on different games. It sounded like a really good game to have around if you uh, if you're doing nano at your library. Yeah. And so they had a lot of stuff. Uh, what else did we see? Uh, we did miniatures painting. We did. Well, we've interviewed those guys, but that's from the uh, games workshop. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so you as librarians, once again, I don't know if that's going to air before this or not. Uh, we'll put the show notes and then the show notes with that episode that say how to contact them. If you want to do miniatures painting at your library or you've got any other art activities that you need to supplement, then by golly, if you're, we have a bunch of guys who are not necessarily interested in painting, Mm -hmm. but we sit them down and 
we say, guys, look, you can paint up your miniatures. And then play with them. And then play with them. I think that they're going to be very excited to, to give that a try. I think absolutely. And that kit they showed us off looked amazing. It, oh, yes. And the, the best thing about it is they're not teaching you how to do perfect models. Mm-hmm. They're teaching you how to get them done quick. At least they did when they did our paint and paint and take. Right. And not only that, um, it it's the kind of model painting that hides a lot of sins. Yes. With the washes and stuff like that. So I've, I've never been so excited by anything that Game Workshop has ever done. And I've played Blood Bowl since high school. <laughs> um Back in the 1900s, 1990s, mm-hmm. uh, maybe earlier. And that uh, this is really cool for a professional level for schools and libraries. I'm sure you'll find it pretty amazing. Oh, absolutely. I Like I said, I was very impressed with that kit. Like since it came with minis and the paints, mm. that just seemed nice. Oh, did we talk about the uh, folks from Green Onin yet? That we, we saw them there? No, we didn't talk about them. Okay, so... I was just pleased as punch to run into an old friend of mine, uh, Hal, who uh, was working still for Green Running, and he's got some other stuff going on, that uh, they had a bunch of their games there and some books, both fiction and nonfiction. I realized I think I actually have dice for one of their books. Oh, which which one? The uh, I think it's the Blue Rose. Oh, that, that looks like such a pretty, pretty game. It does. The dice are very, very pretty. Um, and... Yeah, that. If I ever thought I had the play group to play it, I would certainly own a copy of that one already. Yeah, it but, looked gorgeous. Before we get into the games too much, let's talk about their books about games. Uh, they've got the hobby games, the 100 best, and the family games, the 100 best. I think I reviewed one of the two on the podcast, either this podcast or on board games, way back when they came out. Mm-hmm. And it's 100 essays about different games by designers and publishers who who they're not talking about their games, right? It's like pick a game you didn't design mm-hmm. and how do you like it? And there's a game about Munchkin, a game I abs I mean an article about Munchkin in one of them that I absolutely hate that game, but the article is fascinating. Ooh. And you're like, okay, I can now see why someone else might like it or at least why it's so important to to the history of gaming. And if you're looking to expand your library collection, you could do a lot worse than by just going down that shopping list of uh, the 100 best family games. Uh, that is a great place to start, even though the books are now several years old, so there's not going to be anything from the last year or two in it. Uh, the games in there are still all probably worth looking at. And if you don't know, read the article and you'll know whether or not it's appropriate for your library or what you're trying to do. And if you're doing more hobby games, then the Hobby Games 100 would be, of course, a great one as mm-hmm. well. Um, so what else did they have? Green Ronin does... They had something... Didn't they have something about, uh, what is it, cinema and RPGs? Or... Oh, they do. Um, they, uh, they they did. I can't... It was another essays collection. They yeah. had some really interesting looking... All right, Cinema Sorcery. Sort of... Cinema and Sorcery was yes, the name of that. Yes, that's the one. And, yeah, it was just a look of... Uh, spells and sorcery and, and a whole bunch of different uh, movies and stuff. So mm-hmm. some of the trashy fantasy movies that I loved when I was a kid. Uh, I'm not going to say which one I asked about, but I was like, oh, is this in there? He's like, you know it's in there. Like, <laughs> yes, I know it's in there. So that's great. Oh, they so we, let's talk about, they also have some fiction, right? So if you want, if you're looking for fiction to support your gaming, uh, 
they have some books and they're not ones that I've read, so I can't really recommend them specifically, but it was neat to see that they're supporting their like mutants and mastermind series of mm-hmm. uh, heroic role playing games. And since superhero stuff is also popular, mutants and masterminds might be the role playing game to look at. Right. I haven't played the current edition. I couldn't tell you specifically. I also remember they had something called the Expanse. Oh, I was just getting to that. So, oh. Uh, yeah, the Expanse is one of my favorite science fiction television shows of all time, and I've read the series, and it's oh so good. And they have the Expanse role playing game. And I knew they were coming out with it. I didn't realize it was for sale already. <laughs> and uh, if uh, if they still have any, if they're selling it there, I may end up with a copy before the end of the weekend. Personal copy or? Personal copy because we're between, uh, we're at the end of the calendar year for our finances at the library. So I can't spend any of their money at all. Oh. So yeah, personal copy. And I'm not sure it would be appropriate for the library until I played it anyway. <laughs> so... But that was really amazing. Just uh, getting to see an old friend. We didn't have a lot of time to chat, but uh, you know, gave me hope that you know to see the role-playing folks here and playing games and running games. So uh, that was the other thing is they had the the gaming area where you got to go and play demos, mm-hmm. right? Which is where we played through some of the Think Fun stuff. And did we sit through any other demos that I didn't get pictures of? Um. Oh, no, I'm upset. There was something by Wizards of the Coast that I wanted to play. What? It was the, um... Remember the one that was always sort of going? Magic It was always full? No, it wasn't Magic Together. It wasn't... Oh, that's right. There was. I don't remember what it was. It was some kind of... I think it's like... Mayhem or something. It was D&D. You said Wizards of the Coast. I said Pathfinder. I should have said... (laughs) Oh... Role-playing games, yes, I know the difference between Pathfinder and 5th edition D&D, or any edition of D&D, but, um, yeah, so stop laughing at me. All right, uh, but, uh, so they had enough demos going on that we were unable to get into all the ones that we wanted to. Right. That was pretty neat. Uh, we also toured the uh, graphic novel area. There's so much pretty art, I wanted all of it. We got to go, and uh, I saw one of the authors that I have read a lot of his stuff from, uh, Jack. I think it's Jack Campbell. Yes. Um, yeah, so we we saw Jack Campbell. Got in on the last five or ten minutes of his author discussion where he was talking about his stuff being converted into graphic novels, which was news to me and really interesting. Uh, I wish we'd gotten there for that part of the discussion because we were at that sort of awkward tail end where he's trying to milk out the last of the time, get people to ask him questions, and I think that the people who were there were there because of the graphic novel stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, we went down the artist's alley, we went to the makerspace. Oh, all the makerspace stuff was really cool. Uh, we got, um, we got... Dog tags. Dog tags etched right on site. Yep. I'm using the laser, the Dremel laser engraver slash cutter, I think. Yeah, I saw you buying that thing. I, yes. I'd like to. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And they had the Dremel 3D printer there. We also, you know, talked to the folks who made our 3D printer. And the folks that we bought our 3D printer from were both there. Yeah. Showing off the same 3D printer. (laughs) Um, And so that was pretty neat. It was neat, all the stuff they had printed, like, that you could see. Uh, They had... 
What did they have? They had prosthetic arms and... They had flexible stuff they'd printed. Ninjaflex. One of the folks had... Well, no, but I mean, they had specific flexible items that they had printed. Oh, yes. But yes, you're right that they, they had little samples of all the materials printed out with the logo. Oh, that was cool. And one of the things they had there was Ninjaflex, right? That right. Was one Ninjaflex of the, was the, uh, you can bend it and warble with it. I really liked the Lennon one, too. The Lennon one just, like, it was so smooth. Right. And apparently, depending on how hot you cook that, it had different textures. Fuzzy texture, was yeah. it? So it looked like polished or not polished linen or something. I don't know. They also know. had a, uh, a Braille Rubik's Cube. Yeah, that is a brilliant idea. If that was. And in fact, I would say that that is one of the things I'd never thought of. Mm-hmm. A use of a 3D printer is to use it as a way to make Braille labels for your library or, um, you know, to put enhancements on other items and stuff that you have. So if you've got kits for Braille people, you know, that need Braille, mm-hmm. then you could easily do that. Yeah. Um, now, you know, of course, you'd want to double check everything because it's weird when you... You'd want the really small print head for your oh, absolutely. for your three D printer. Went to uh, you know some sessions. We sat in on um, the games and gaming roundtable meeting, which I didn't really feel like I had anything at all to contribute to. But they were talking about some interesting stuff, mm-hmm. and it sounds like the organizational structure of it is sort of gelling nicely at this point. They've, you know, had some great years, had some rough years. You know, all organizations do, but listening to the way they're talking about it is that they're, uh, you know, trying to balance the load on the people who are doing all of this great stuff. And um, Right, it sounded like they were trying to figure out how they could improve uh, the play event from the night before. Uh, and the areas. which they're As well as the areas and help other members out. And also service outside away from the convention. Right. So, um, and we'll be talking about the International Games Week here before long because we've got to start prepping for it for our library. And that will be great. Well, any final thoughts on ALA 2019? It was huge. It was? Uh, the funny thing is I've been to that same convention hall for a geek convention. Mm-hmm. It was the one where I got to take the picture with Weird Al. Yes. Yes. Which you uh, can see, I think, on our Inverse Genius bio. I think you can see that on my Inverse Genius bio. Uh, but it was so interesting to see it swapped around and just... It was funny some of the things where it's like every convention is the same in some ways. Right. And so you went not as a librarian because you're no longer actually working in a library, even though you help us do our escape room stuff too. Right. Um, and you know, if you're there as a librarian who is, especially if you're looking to learn, I think about games and libraries, Mm -hmm. uh, then I think they could have done with some more seminars and some more sessions. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the ones that were there were nice. They were work well, but I think the gaming grotto and the introduction to the game companies and to all their gaming programs, you know, I think the, uh, the Games Workshop one is worth its you know weight in gold as an introduction. Oh, absolutely. The Think Fun have a deal. I think you get a substantial discount if you're buying by the case. So if you've got multiple branches in your library system, then you absolutely want that. Or if you're doing a program where, you know, maybe you need things as uh, summer reading giveaways or whatever, then you could you could do a good thing with that. Um, 
but uh, you went and, and had sort of a different perspective. You're sort of there to help me get some recordings. Right. Um, but what else did you notice? What did you think about it as a, as a library adjacent person? As a library adjacent person? I found it very interesting to see there were vendors that I wasn't expecting to see, like all of the sort of local artists uh, at the sort of artist alley. Mm -hmm. Like it makes sense because they're advertising their books for, for, you know, getting into collections and stuff. But it's really funny to see some of their booths that I've seen for geek cons that look just about the same for this and that. Right, right, right. Right. Um, and you did a bit of networking. Yes, I did get to do a bit of networking and sort of just schmooze around uh, LA Play with uh, Jason Morningstar, and that was a blast. Uh, in case we haven't mentioned Jason Morningstar specifically, we have mentioned Fiasco on the show right. many times. Oh, Absolutely. And he was the designer that is working on the new edition, which he didn't have with him, which is good because he probably wouldn't have had it with him when he left. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody would have stolen it. It would have been. It might have disappeared. No. That, uh, uh, I would have checked it out of his library. That's all. There you go. And uh, then you I'm met. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. You met some other people at the library or, I mean, at, at ALA proper that you're like exchange business cards with and talk about. That was neat. You know, puzzle design or, you know, that escape kind of room. things. Escape rooms. Yes. So. Uh, you've got a variety. And I'm not saying that every teacher should run out to ALA or that every listener is appropriate for you. Mm -hmm. But um, there are publishers there that you can get some FaceTime with. You know, we got to spend an evening with Dominic Krapachets and then uh, harass him the next evening. Or I got to spend that evening with him and then you got to play games with him at right. ALA Play. Um, so it was all pretty exciting, I think. It was. It really was. It was also very funny because I ran into some of the same people over and over again because uh, we went and checked out Labyrinth and the representative for Haba had been at Labyrinth demoing stuff and then was also at LA Play and then at the Gaming Grotto. Right. And and I would say that if you're a, uh, a publisher looking to go then uh, there were some librarians and some other publishers who were hitting the other local game stores in the area before the con. Right. That's a great idea as mm -hmm. well. So, All right. Well, it is late on Sunday night here at ALA um, <laughs> that I think we're going to wrap this up and, uh, and call it a convention well done. I don't know if I'll actually be back there tomorrow, but we'll see. All right. I'm Donald Dennis. And I'm Stephanie Fry. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast, Nephilim, and Lynn Theory. Games and Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.